0: Let's get started this morning by praying together. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for um, your kindness to us and uh, the opportunity to gather again on the Lord's Day for worship and to be with one another, to be uh, refreshed and strengthened um, as you give us even the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this morning, Father, that you would dwell with us even as we um, continue to meditate together on um, the way in which we do our life together as a church, and um, that you would bless us in, in Christ, we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing this um, this fall semester, this section of Adult Sunday School, by um, meditating together on some of the core values, um, the central values of Calivo Presbyterian Church, um, and uh, what that looks like. Here, let me give you these, dear. If you can take one and then maybe just put them in the back on the black row so that Latecomers can grab one. Um, uh, so, I'm going to start just by reviewing um, from a, just the last two weeks. The first week, um, we you know, started with this idea that at the core of our church and who we are, what we exist to, to do and to be, is to dwell with Christ, essentially. Um, we talked about the doctrine of union with Christ and how that's at the center of who we are as a church. Um, we talked about Westminster Shorter. Um, Number one, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. How do we glorify God and enjoy God forever? We do it through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We want to dwell with the triune God. Um, That is why our church exists, um, to be a place where men, women, and children are drawn into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we do that through the person who reveals the Father by the power of the Spirit, um, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, so we talked about how central to our church's life are these um, verses in the scriptures. One, you are the beloved, the words of the Father to the Son at his baptism. That that word becomes true for us as we dwell with Jesus as Christ is our life. And that verse from Colossians 3, as Christ is our life, we actually become the beloved of God as we abide with him. Um, last week we talked about the reality that this union with Christ is not just some kind of static binary reality, but it actually is a living uh, relationship, a living uh, thing that we grow in over time. Um, we use this John Calvin quote um, to, to, to sort of center our thoughts about that. He says, Christ is not outside us, but dwells within us. Not only does he cleave to us by an invisible bond, of, an indivisible bond of fellowship, but with a wonderful communion, day by day, he grows more and more into one body with us until he becomes completely one with us. This union with Christ is actually something that we grow deeper into over time, over the days and weeks and years of our lives. And how does that happen? Westminster Shorter 88, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates, that is, gives to us the benefits of redemption, are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual for the elect. For salvation, so how do we grow in Christ? We talked last week about how this is not a mystery. This is not some hidden um, thing that we have to discover somehow, like a treasure map. Um, The Lord has actually given us channels of the way in which the Spirit dwells with us and gives us the Person of Jesus Christ. Uh, We call those channels the means of grace, the means of of how we receive Jesus Himself, and He gives Himself to us reliably in a trustworthy way. In a, in a way that can be um, described as, as um, uh, yeah, trustworthy. We can count on it. Um, word, sacrament, and prayer. Uh, word, sacrament, and prayer. And because word, sacrament, and prayer are the ways that we receive Jesus, and because receiving Jesus is the purpose of our church, therefore, word, sacrament, and prayer are going to be central for who we are as a congregation and as, as a life together. Uh, word, sacrament, and prayer are how Patrick and I are going to understand our fundamental task pastorally for you. Um, We are here to do whatever we can to serve you, but especially to serve you um, in delivering word, sacrament, and prayer um, to you uh, day by day, week by week over the years. Um, That is what we are called to do. That is what we are about as a church. We talked last week about how um, word, sacrament, and prayer indwell all of what we do on Sunday morning um, and how they actually provide the basis for all of the ministries of our church throughout the week, the things that we do even outside of the Lord's Day, are centered on these means of grace. Any questions about any of that before we jump into new stuff today? Okay, great. Well, today I want to talk about the Lord's Day. Um, we began to talk about this some last week um, in terms of the way in which our worship service reflects the means of grace. But I want to do a little bit more of that reflection today. How does the Lord's Day relate to these things? Um Here's what I want to say, here's what I really want us to believe as a church and to live out in the way that we structure our lives. That is that the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath Sunday, the first day of the week, and especially gathered worship on the Lord's Day, is the primary way and manner in which we receive the means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer, and thus Christ himself. This is um, a view that would not have been seen to have been unusual um, throughout the, the, the centuries of church history, but there are times in which I wonder if today uh, the modern, at least American church or Western church, if it is still viewed this way, if the Lord's Day is still viewed as set apart in this way. Um, I think today there is so much emphasis on uh, private forms of spirituality, um, on, on spiritual experiences. Um, Outside of gathered worship, Um, you may know this, but sometimes churches even um, cancel worship on the Lord's Day, right? Um, If the Lord's Day falls on, say, Christmas, for example, uh, the idea sometimes a church will say, "Well, we're going to cancel worship this Lord's Day because people can be with their families and enjoy that." Or uh, maybe a church will cancel worship to give everyone a Sabbath, a rest, um, because you know it takes a lot of work to put on church, which is true. and so, the, or, or maybe we, we, take, we cancel worship so that we can go be the church uh, somewhere else, right? Go to a homeless shelter or to wherever and serve together. And we're going to be the church together this Sunday uh, by doing that. I can assure you, friends, that as long as I'm the pastor here, we'll never do any of those things. Um, we will never have a Lord's Day on which there's not um, uh, word, sacrament, and prayer um, administered um, for those who come. Uh, to receive it. Um, sort of, I shouldn't say never, I guess, sort of some amazing cataclysmic weather event. Um, there was, some of you remember the great ice storm of uh, 2016 or whatever it was. Uh, we had about 50 people here or, or something, even less maybe. Um, and we've well, we still had church, right? Whoever could come, came. And we, we were still here. Um, those of us who live close especially were able to come even that uh, weather day. Um, but we will always have worship on the Lord's Day here at College Presbyterian Church, because we believe that the Lord's Day and the worship that is offered to God's people on the Lord's Day is actually um, not just one of other spiritual experiences in your life um, that you might have, but it is the central and primary and essential, we might even say, spiritual experience in your life. Um, and, and, and so everything that we do um, will, will be centered on that, um, that opportunity for us to be together. And we believe that this is the case because this is how the Lord um, structured um, His life with His people. I think it's really interesting, I've been reflecting recently on the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ um, Himself um, sanctified the Lord's Day. Of course, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was the last day of the week, um, and, but Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And what did Jesus do that first Lord's Day um, where, that he established in his own flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit? Um, he, he rises from the dead and appears to Mary in the garden. He calls her to himself. He embraces her. Um, he uh, restores their fellowship to one another. Um, you'll notice that this is a very similar thing that we do When we gather together, God calls us into worship. We confess our sins. We are assured of his forgiveness. And then a little later in that same Lord's Day, according to Luke 24, um, the Lord Jesus appears um, to disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. And what does Jesus do with them as he walks? He opens the Scriptures, right? They have questions about the death of the Messiah, the one they had thought had been the hope of Israel. And so the Lord Jesus appears on the Lord's Day to his people and opens the scriptures to them and teaches them about how it was necessary that the Messiah should suffer all these things and on the third day rise again. And then once they arrive at the home um, where they were going in Emmaus, what does the Lord Jesus do then? Well, he takes bread and he breaks it and their eyes are opened and they see him for who he is as they commune with him. You begin to see the pattern, I hope, right? We We start that Jesus appears to us, he calls us to his presence, he restores us to himself, he opens the scriptures to us, and then he feeds us his own very self as we commune with him in the Lord's Supper. And then finally, at the evening of that initial Lord's Day, what does the Lord Jesus do? He appears to the eleven and he blesses them, right? He raises his hand in benediction and gives them the blessing of his own self. Um, Jesus Christ himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, took the Sabbath day worship that existed in the Old Covenant and and reconstituted it in himself as the mediator between God and man on the initial Lord's Day, the first Lord's Day. And every Lord's Day since the church has always held is a repetition of that first Lord's Day, that we enter into the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ himself gives himself to us as we, um, as we receive him. He appears to us. And that is why We think the Lord's Day is so important, um, because it is when the Lord Jesus himself is especially promised to be with us and to appear to us and to dwell with us. Um, Thus, I would say our practices on the Lord's Day will be of fundamental importance in our spiritual lives. Um, Here's what I mean by that. Um, I mean, and I really do mean, this is, I think I've realized over time, um, that one of my primary pastoral tasks um, I say this here in a, in a moment, um, is actually to encourage you all as a congregation to reconsider and recalibrate potentially your approach to the Lord's Day. Um, and I, I understand this. I grew up um, um, and I think have grown, certainly, in my understanding of the centrality of the Lord's Day. Um, I'm not a strict Sabbatarian. Um, that I have a stated exception with our uh, Westminster Standards, I think Patrick has a similar uh, difference, um, in that we believe that, that there are ways in which um, by prohibiting all uh, thoughts, words, or, or works that are worldly or recreational on the Lord's Day, that the, the, um, the standards potentially go further than Scripture itself. Um, and that's a difference that's been stated to our Presbyterian, approved by them. It's actually a fairly uh, standard um, difference these days. But I will say, I have become more Sabbatarian in the 11 years of ordained ministry. Um, uh, increasingly, I do think that the Fourth Commandment, um, uh, especially in its the way in which it, our standards state the, the, the day being set apart for worship and rest, is a central part of the Christian life. Um, the Lord's Day, I'm increasingly convinced, or I am convinced, is... Is not, it's not an optional activity, right, that we make room for when we have time um, or it fits in our schedules um, of other things that we might do on Sunday. Uh, rather, the Lord's Day is the central practice of the Christian life in many ways. Um, it all flows from um, keeping the Sabbath in many ways. Uh, the fourth commandment, we believe, is not, you know, there are not nine commandments and then an optional one, um, that we follow as we like. But actually we believe here at CPC there are ten commandments and the fourth commandment is just as binding as thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not steal. Um, you must, if you are to follow Jesus, um, keep the Sabbath holy um, unto the Lord. And, and I, I want to be clear about that. And, I, and, and again, I'm not, we're not legalistic. I don't think about this here. Um, no one is is going to be examining the rest of the things you do on the Lord's Day and making sure you don't um, do some things and not other things. Um, but I do notice when you're not at worship, um, you know, we're not a, too big of a church to not notice. <laughs> um, and I do, as your pastor, have a deep concern um, for your participation in gathered worship on the Lord's Day. Um, in many ways, I view it as um, one of the most substantial, perhaps the most substantial marker of your spiritual life. Um, If you tell me that you are reading the Bible an hour every day and it is so wonderful, um, and yet you're only in worship once or twice a month, I'm going to be deeply concerned about your spiritual life. Um, If you um, tell me that you are serving the poor um, every day and it is so fulfilling for you and and you can see um, what it means to follow Jesus in this service, and yet you are often infrequently in worship, I'm going to be deeply concerned about your spiritual life. Um, and so on and so on, right? You can imagine the things that might, people might see as markers of spiritual maturity. And I'm just going to argue again and again that keeping the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord and being present, especially um, for the gathered worship of God's people, is, is, in my mind, the most objective central marker of how you were doing with Jesus. Um, and that's, I don't think that's like a, a legalistic thing, I think it's just like a this is what it means, this is how creation works. This is the order in which God gave us, right? Um, it's not legalistic to say that you know um, um, uh, sharing a home with your spouse is going to be a fundamental thing for your marriage, right? It just, if you try to live separately and have a good marriage, it's just not going to work. And, in the, and that's not legalism, that's just like common sense. In the same way, I think that being present on the Lord's Day is not a legalistic thing, it's just a common sense thing. Jesus promises to show up for you on the Lord's Day um, as the body of Christ is gathered together. And if you decide there are other things that are more important or where you want to be, you're going to miss him. Like, and you're, you're not going to get that back somehow. That's just going to be a Lord's Day you miss Jesus. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, therefore there's no grace for that. Of course there's grace for that. But that's a reality. And Jesus will be present with his people on the Lord's Day. And if you are absent, you will miss him. You will miss that aspect of his person and character that was to be communicated to you on that day. You will not receive it. And that, as a pastor, is just one of my deepest concerns for our church, that we structure our lives around the place where Jesus promises to show up and to be present with us. Um, And so I know that was a little bit of a sermon I apologize for it a little bit, but it really is something that, that I am just um, deeply convinced of more and more as a pastor. Um, so what should keep you from Lord's Day worship? I would argue nothing apart from travel, and of course when you travel, you're usually going to be traveling a place where there is Christian worship happening on the Lord's Day, and so you should go to worship on vacation, friends. That's what I think. Um, Um, You know, vacation is not a vacation from the Lord's Day, from Jesus Christ. Um, And yes, potentially substantial sickness, but I would argue it should be substantial. Like, and you're not going to bother me at all if you come and you're coughing or you have a a runny nose or whatever. Like, just sit in a corner somewhere if you're worried about getting somebody sick. But be present. Like, I want you to be here. We all want you to be here. Um, You can use common sense, but the Lord wants you to be here. He doesn't want you to miss out on the person of the Lord Jesus as he's offered to his people. Come, um, even if you're tired, even if you don't feel 100%, come and be present um, with the people of God. And I will say, in order to do this well, you have to, of course, begin to structure your life around the Lord's Day, right? It is a fundamental human principle, I have learned in 11 years as a pastor, that people do the things they want to do, Right? if someone is doing a thing, it is because they want to do it. That is how life works. That is how, like, we all get to make choices and priorities. Um, and and I've learned of a pastor, you know, it's kind of useless to try to get people to do things they don't want to do, because they're going to do what they want to do, ultimately. And so all I can do is say, here is what I think is most important. What does it look like for you to structure your life around this thing? Um, and all of us, friends, are are telling a story with our lives, with the choices we make each day about what we think is most important, right? What we think is most primary, most central. And I just want to argue that if you were to follow the Lord Jesus, one of the things you must make most central and primary is what you actually do with your body and your time on the Lord's Day. And you will never calibrate that, I think, in a proper way unless you make decisions the other six days of the week that flow into that. And so, I mean, there are just really practical things about this, right? Perhaps Saturday night should not be a night where you um, stay up late and socialize liberally with others, with your friends. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe you're a person who can do that. But if you find that that's something that makes it hard for you to participate in Lord's Day uh, in a a real way, then maybe that's something you should consider, right? Um, Think about what it means to, um, you know, I mean, I even I know that there are times and places where Uh, people's employment requires them um, to work on the Lord's Day, and and I would just gently encourage, and I get that, I know we live in a post-Christian society in many ways, and we don't have blue laws anymore. Um, I, by the way, wish we did. I would vote for those in a heartbeat. Um, But we all can work towards lines of work that don't require us to work on the Lord's Day. Um, I think that's something many of us at least have the freedom to do, and I would encourage us to do that. Um, We still you know, largely live in a society that, that reflects those things. And, and, I, and I do think that, you know, if it comes down to a choice between professional um, advancement and participation in gathered Sunday worship, um, you should choose gathered Sunday worship because that's more important um, than professional advancement. And I just, I just want to just put that out there. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to be harsh or legalistic, but also I'm just trying to be real, I guess. Um, that if if this if what happens on Sundays is actually what we think it is, the place where the Lord Jesus shows up to give us his very self, his very self in word, sacrament and prayer, um, then don't we want that to be primary and essential um, to uh, who what we do as a family, what we do as human beings? And I, that's that's my heart that's my and I think it really is it's, it's one of our core values here at CPC that that Sunday really Sunday morning really is the central essential thing that we do as a church. Um and we want you to be be able to receive it. Are there any questions about that before I begin to talk about our worship service in more detail? Yes, ma'am. Yes. 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 Yeah, that's great. Did everybody hear what Kim said? Kim said this is a Lord's Day worship is a gift you can give your children. Um, and you're actually modeling for them what you think is important, basically, by how you treat the Lord's Day, how you treat church worship attendance. And that's right. And I'm, I'm the same way. I grew up in a family where there was never a discussion. You just, you went to church. That's what you did on Sunday. Um And I'm deeply grateful for that as well. And I I tell people often, right, either you will decide once to go to church on the Lord's Day, or you will decide every week. Like, those are the options, right? Either you decide once, Lord's Day worship is going to be what I do on Sunday, or you will invariably have to decide that question every week. Um, And yeah, I think one of the things, most important acts of Christian discipleship that parents can do for their children is just, just show up on church. Like, just do that. I mean, they're not, it's not the only thing, but what a gift to give our kids, to have them not really be able to imagine not keeping the Sabbath. I mean, that's just an amazing thing to give our kids as a gift spiritually. And I, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, one more, and I'll move into worship. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think sometimes the church, the Western church has sent mixed messages on the essential character of Lord's Day worship um, and keeping the Sabbath. To put it lightly, they've sent mixed messages. (laughs) Um, And that has unfortunately had an effect over time on the people of God, as you might expect, I think. Yeah. All right. So why do we worship the way that we do? Um, I want to talk about this for a few minutes because it is of course, one of the, you know, if you, if you show up and worship with us on a Sunday morning, our worship, um, and maybe this was your experience when you first came, may seem unusual to you, right? We, we worship, I think, in a way that is not unusual um, within the context of church history and the, the centuries of the Spirit working in the people of God. But within the current landscape of, uh, you know, Dallas Fort Worth in 2019, we do some unusual things, I think it's fair to say, in our worship service. So I just want to talk a little bit about that with you and talk about why we do things the way that we do. Um, one of the fundamental lenses through which we want to view our worship here at Colleyville is that phrase that is printed each week on your order of worship. Right under Lord's Day worship, it says, A divine service of covenant renewal. A divine service of covenant renewal. What we believe in about that is a couple things. One, it is a divine service, um, not just in that it is a sort of heavenly experience, which is true, but actually God is serving us in our worship. Um, I think that is a fundamental way that I want you to think about worship that is perhaps different than um, ways that worship is spoken about other, way, other places. Um, we don't primarily come to worship to serve God. We come to worship primarily to receive God's service to us. Because that is who God is. God serves. The Lord Jesus Christ revealed the Father completely. And how did he do it? He did it by washing his disciples' feet, he did it by dying on a cross for them. This is actually the heart and character of our God. He is the one who condescends to us, He is the one who comes to us and gives us his very self. Um, the Lord serves us on Sunday morning. Um, and he serves us by renewing his covenant with us. We don't primarily come um, on Sunday mornings to renew our covenant with God. Rather, we come to be present for when the Lord promises to come and dwell with us and serve us and renew his covenant with us. Right, this is a fundamental reality about how covenants work in the scriptures, right? That the Lord initiates the covenant. The Lord keeps the covenant. The Lord is the one who renews it again and again even when we are unfaithful, even when we um, fall away. Um, Our worship is directed toward receiving that renewal of the covenant that God has established with us in Jesus Christ. God initiates each week, and we actually respond to him. We receive his service to us. And this is um, why our service is largely pastor-led and why it is so what I would call dialogical. It is a kind of divine dialogue, um, and it's, it's, it's led primarily by pastors, um, um, and you, you might have noticed over um, the course of the last year that there were aspects of the service that Patrick did not lead until after he was ordained as a pastor and set apart in a particular way for ministry. Um, and, and now Patrick and I kind of share basically the whole service. Um, and the reason that we do that, the reason we don't have lay people reading um, scripture, um, or doing other aspects of the service, or even usually ruling elders, is because we believe it is the special office of the minister um, to represent Jesus Christ to the people of God, especially on Sunday morning. That That's actually a fundamental calling of the pastor. You might say it is the fundamental calling. Um, this is not to imply that we're somehow, you know, like Jesus or um, or whatever, perfect or infallible, but rather that God has set apart ministers as a way of a visible, tangible way of communicating the presence of his Son to his people. If you you know read the literature, this is the classical Protestant understanding of the pastorate it 's there in calvin it 's there in Luther um, it's been lost in some ways um, in modern day, but it is something we believe to be true here, and that is why. Our service is almost exclusively led by ordained ministers. Um, And it's also why our service is dialogical. Um, The pastor speaks um, in some ways in in the person and, and, and in the place of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus speaks to you, and the bride responds. The church responds to the voice of Jesus. That is what we see all throughout the Scriptures, um, how Jesus dwells with his people, and that's what we say um, when, you know, the pastor says, the Lord be with you, and people respond, and also with you, right? Right? The pastor says, um, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God, and the people respond. Um, when the Christ who is our life appears, we also will appear with him in glory. That's why there's that call and response that's so characteristic all throughout our worship service, because we're actually. Um, on Sunday morning, the church, the congregation, is constituted as the bride of Christ, and, and Christ is speaking to his bride, and you're hearing him. You're responding to him um, in that way, in that worship. Why is our worship service so simple, right? This is another thing that's going to be really um, different about our church than other churches in the area, right? Um, you're not going to see um, video clips. Um, I will promise you solemnly, I will never use a video clip in a sermon, Um, as long as I preach here, um, that will not happen. Um, I uh, can't imagine ever using PowerPoint in a sermon. Um, I can't imagine us ever um, having uh, music that is um, super elaborate and like some kind of big production, you know, and um, whatever you might imagine, right? There are other things you can imagine that take place at other churches that we don't do here. Why don't we do those things? Largely because um, we believe um, that the means of grace are the central thing that give us life, because the means of grace are the places where Christ has promised to give himself to his people, word, sacrament, and prayer. And actually, in the simplicity in which these things are offered, we receive Jesus in a, in a more direct way, right? Um, those other things, visuals or, or emotional experiences that are you know, ex- explicitly um, centered around becoming emotional for us, those actually are dangerous in that they might become distractions from what is primary, which are the means of grace offered to us where Jesus gives himself to us. Now, this does not mean I, that I hope that our worship service is emotional for you. It is deeply moving for me um, to participate in worship with you each week. Um, but it does not, But also, I'm not primarily, we're not primarily here to sort of create some kind of emotional experience that we want you to have. Um, we want you to receive Jesus. And that should be emotional. Hopefully it is. Um, but we want you to receive him in the way that he has promised to give himself to you. Um, that is through the word, the preaching and reading and, and, and stating of the word, um, through the sacrament, this Lord's Supper and baptism, and in prayers we pray with one another in song and, and spoken word. Why does our worship service follow the same pattern week after week? Um, that pattern basically is God calls us, God cleanses us, God counsels us. I don't love counsel, but I had to find a C, so we did counsel. (laughs) God communes with us. God commissions us, right? And those those headings are on your worship um, service, um, your order of worship every week. Um, And they they represent the five movements of our service, right? That God calls us into his presence, that God forgives us of our sin, um, that God gives us instruction. He counsels us with his word. Um, he communes with us, he feeds us with his own very self in the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper, and then he commissions us, sends us out with uh, his own very name uh, put upon us and his blessing on our shoulders. And we follow this pattern because we believe that it is the pattern of worship in the Scriptures, that that it's not to say that it's sinful if you you know did things differently, if you had the Lord's Supper before the sermon or something, or you didn't do the forgiveness of sins until... The very end of the service, uh, it wouldn't be sinful, but like, why would you do it? Like, this just is the way that you know. If you look at the sacrifices in Leviticus, if you look at the way in which the Revelation moves it moves through, um, if you look at other places I mean, it's just it's just the way in which worship is structured. That God calls us into His presence, that God forgives our sins, that God gives us instruction by His Word, that God communes with us and feeds us with Himself, and then sends us out with His blessing. We follow that structure each week because we believe it is actually the biblical structure for worship. And I would argue if I mean I have a book in my office that is says The Western Liturgies of the Church throughout the Ages or something like that, right? And it's got all these different liturgies. And friends, you know, from, you know, the 4th century till, you know, the modern reformation, they're all the same basically, right? They all follow this order. Like this isn't some order that I invented and thought of three C's, you know, to sell to you. Like, this is how Christians have worshipped always, basically, throughout the centuries. There have been deviations from this structure, from this order, certainly, but this has been the norm for how Christians have worshipped together. And that's important. That's important for us, because we do see ourselves as part of that larger tradition of the church universal throughout the centuries. Why do we use written prayers um, this is certainly something that's unusual about our worship um, compared to other places you might. And we really just have one extemporaneous—well, we have several extemporaneous prayers in terms of, um, you know, the pastors pray before and after the sermon, and we pray um, before and after the administration of the, the bread—or before the bread and before the wine. So I guess there are multiple extemporaneous prayers in our service, but we also have the prayers of the people that are given usually by an elder on behalf of the people, the petitions. But generally speaking, most of our prayers are written, and we pray them together. Um, a couple reasons for that. We do that so that our prayers are shaped by the Scriptures. Right? I, I think I showed this some to you last week. All of our prayers, I mean, they're, many of them are historic and taken from the Christian tradition generally, but they're also prayers. I'm very careful. I want prayers that are not just speculative or or whatever, but are really shaped by the words and images and themes of Scripture themselves, if they are not just verbatim Scripture, um, which some of our prayers are just basically verbatim Scripture. Um, So that's one of the reasons we have written prayers, because we believe that God actually um, doesn't just leave us to figure out how to pray. He actually teaches us how to pray, and He does so through His Word most especially. And we, we pray written prayers, so we pray with the saints throughout the ages, right? We're often praying prayers that were prayed by uh, Christians um, centuries ago um, in, in time. We're also praying prayers that are being prayed by Christians today in other parts of the world, right? In Africa or Asia um, or in Australia or wherever. Like many of the prayers that we pray are prayers that they're also praying. Also praying. Uh, most of our prayers are not unique to our church. Um, They are actually um, prayers that are prayed universally by the church, Um, and we get to participate in a prayer life with them when we pray those prayers together. And it's also so that we ourselves, located in this room, in this sanctuary, will pray together, um, so that we will have a common vernacular, a common tongue to describe what it means to speak to God and be shaped by Him. Why do some of the parts of the service remain exactly the same each week, you know probably many of these parts. If you've worshipped with us long, right? Usually, our opening section is exactly the same. Before you get to the collect, that changes every week. Um, um, you know the 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 Gloria, and the doxology. We do them every week, right? Um, we do, you know, we do the um, after every reading. This is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, you know, we do cycle through several different creeds, but usually it's Nicene. It's usually pretty pretty um, comfortable and familiar. Um, We always have the same acclamations before um, we eat the bread and drink the wine together, right? Um, Alleluia. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. Let us confess the mystery of our faith, right? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Um, If you've worshipped with us long, it probably doesn't take much to even evoke those phrases to your mind. They they are, hopefully, those tracts are being written in your heart and in your mind. And one of the reasons we do that is because the liturgy is a kind of dance. It is a kind of romance, even. Um, It is um, the Lord Jesus dwelling with his people and calling them into communion with himself again and again and again. And we think, actually, novelty um, is not always best in a dance. Um, Sometimes it can be good, right? and exciting, but, but often in order to experience the intimacy that a dance provides, both partners have to be really comfortable and familiar with the steps and almost to do them instinctively without thinking. And that is what we're, in some ways, trying to replicate here on Sunday mornings. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great um, quote about this. He says, every service is a structure of acts and words through which we receive a sacrament or repent or supplicate or adore. And that service enables us to do these things best, if you, li- if you like, it works best, that is the service, when through long familiarity we don't have to think about it. As long as you notice and have to count the steps of the dance, so to speak, you are not yet dancing but only learning to dance. A good shoe is a shoe you don't notice. Good reading becomes possible when you need not consciously think about eyes or light or print or spelling. The perfect church service would be one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. And I love the way he puts that, because that really is the focus of the, the familiarity. Um, the repetition is to, to remove our focus from the novel thing that we're doing together and to give us a channel by which we will commune with God so that we almost unconsciously become unaware of, of what we're doing in a sense. And I think this is, this is, if you are married, what you do with your spouse, right? You have unconscious rituals of love um, that provide avenue for you to commune with your spouse. Uh, and that is the kind of thing that we're wanting to do here, um, because we want you to commune with Jesus. I'll also just add, this also has a, um, a benefit in my mind of, of making our service accessible to everyone. If you listen closely or maybe even not so closely some Sundays, you will hear the voices of children at particular points in our service, right? Preliterate children, right? Children who do not know how to take the order of worship and read it, but they know the doxology, right? They know the gloria. They know the prayer that we do at the end of the service um, when we take up the offering, after we take up the offering, right? They know the Lord's Prayer. Um, And... People who sometimes um, are perhaps older in age, and, and I don't know that we have anyone that fits the description right now, but if we did, you know, people who are maybe losing their memory or experiencing um, loss of mental cognition, um, they would remember those prayers too, even if they couldn't remember other things. Um, our service becomes accessible to people of all different kinds and abilities, um, when we have parts of it, at least, that are repetitive, that are the same, that can be memorized, that become channels, um, not only to those who are, who are able um, and, and, and sort of educated and, and those kinds of things. I think it's actually a really beautiful um, way in which our service is accessible to all um, because so much of it is something you can memorize and participate in, um, even without um, other capacities. And, and that is, in some ways, especially important due to our children, our view of children and our desire to have children present in the worship service. And that repetitive service gives them a way to truly, genuinely participate, right? It's not just all over their heads. It isn't. There are many parts of the service that they participate in fully. So why don't we have Children's Church, right? Why don't we do that? Why, don't we, why do we encourage children to worship with us? A couple reasons. One, I had to say here, because baptism, right? We baptize children here, um, and we believe they are members of the Church of Christ, and we want them to be where Jesus is, to receive the means of grace, right? Because we think the means of grace are important not just for us as adults, but for our children also. Um, Patrick preached last week on Jesus' commandment, right? He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And we think Jesus meant that. Um, and I, I think this actually is one of the most distinctive things that you might notice about our church if you're a first-time visitor. Like, why are all these children here? <laughs> right? like, like, often, as you know, in many churches in our day and age, children have other things that are happening during adult church, right? Um, and it's a big thing. It's a big part of it. And we don't do that here. And it, it's not just because we don't want to do the work necessary to make that happen. It's intentional. It's a choice. It's a core value. We want our children to be with us because we believe that our children need Jesus. And we believe that our children receive Jesus in the same way that we do, through the means of grace. Through the means of grace as he offers himself in word, sacrament, and prayer. And that is something that is, is not available to them in the same way if they were just doing children's church on their own. It would not be the same. Um, And and that's that's all we do. I mean, that's the fundamental reason we have children in the worship service, because we want them to receive Jesus. We want to be submissive even to the Lord Jesus and to his command to let the little children come to him, that he is not bothered by them. He's not distracted. He's not upset that they're taking away his precious time. And we feel the same way. Also, because we're discipling our children as they observe us worship, right, That's one of the main things you can do as a parent um, in discipleship is to let your child watch you worship and to show them what it means to worship God. Um, Kim talked about that in terms of your practice of the Lord's Day, but also just specifically how you conduct yourself um, in worship, I think is a wonderful way to disciple your children. And also I think our children, if we watch closely, show us how to receive the kingdom of God. It's messy, isn't it, when our children worship with us. They don't always pay as much attention they're unruly they're less good right they don't do as good a job as we do of hiding their emotions um, and putting on whatever face we need to put on with others and yet they give us a picture of how we receive the kingdom of God right it's people who are messy people who don't always have it together people who don't quote unquote deserve it right because we're not doing all the religious things the right way and yet the Lord gives himself to them um, and they receive him, and they delight in that—the love that he has for them. So I think also our children are instructing us in significant ways as they worship with us. All right. So those are some just some things I want to hear. Want you to hear me say in terms of our core values regarding worship and the Lord's day. Any questions or comments? We have time for maybe a minute or two of that before we close. Yes, ma'am. Kim. I mean, Kim. Wendy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do. Any other questions or comments? Very good. Well, stuff to think about. Let's stand and pray. Father, we're so grateful for how you commune with us, how you dwell with us, even each Lord's Day, um, by way of your Son, as he has given to us in the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, as you commune with us, Father, in word, sacrament, and prayer. But Father, we ask that you would again renew your covenant with us this morning as we gather for worship in just a moment and that you would help us as Christian people who follow Jesus um, to rightly order our lives, um, to be those who keep the Sabbath day holy, um, who set apart our lives to you and receive the service that you give to us as you love us. You love us, Father. Um, Father, help us to be present and to receive that love that you have. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.